This talk, I'm calling Essence. To be honest with you, at this point in time, I don't know whether it's a mini-series or whether it's just a one-off, but I felt I wanted to just give you a little bit of uh, a report, feedback, if you like, upon what I feel the Lord's been teaching me about, very personal stuff, over this last couple of months. And uh, it's been a journey. And it's a bit of a cliche. They often talk about the Christian journey, but it's been a journey. And uh, to cut a long story short, I have really felt that the Lord's speaking to me about caring for my soul more, appreciating my soul, and, and, and taking responsibility for feeding my soul. You know, when we came to, uh, to well, the end of April and Phyllis and I prepared to go away and visit our family in Nashville, uh, I, I was tired, and, and everybody's tired about to go on, as you're about to go on holiday. And of course, you know, the week or so before you go away and there's lots to arrange and, you know, we had a cat sitter coming in who we didn't know and all sorts of stuff. And where you know, we were kind of busy with, uh, you know, with the church. Lots of stuff seemed to be needing attention at the last minute. It was frantic. And, uh, you know, usually when uh, I go on holiday, and I'd, I've heard some of you say the same thing, the first few days... I'm, I'm a bit of a zombie, you know, I'm, I'm there, the lights are on, but there's no one at home, you know. In fact, I'm very vulnerable during that time, and Fliss can take me shopping and things like that, and I don't, I don't like this, you know. And uh, it's, you know, it's a, a risky moment, it's a risky time. But uh, then after that, you know, I kind of get over, I de-stress a bit, and I begin to sort of engage, and think, oh, wow, oh, this is nice, isn't it? This is lovely, or whatever it's happening we're doing. And, uh, but when I got into that second phase, I still felt that there was something, some disconnect in my, myself. And, you know, I was doing all the, uh, the right things. I was, you know, I was exercising, I was eating well and making sure I got plenty of chocolate and, you know, staying up late, watching movies and, you know, the odd malt whiskey or two. So I was doing all the good things. And, um, then also, you know, I was having my quiet times. You know, I commonly, uh, you know, I'm fortunate, as I suppose as a pastor, I've got more time than most, but I commonly spent an hour having a quiet time every day. And I was reading God's Word, and I was studying, and I was praying, and all the rest of it. But still, there was this kind of disconnect in me. And the Spirit of God began to speak to me about my soul. And... That began a journey in me, and I want to share some of that and some of the insights that I've gleaned over the last couple of months. But as we segue into the teaching, let's just begin with this little video clip. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, guys. Let's give the Lord and Horatio Spafford a round of applause. It's a wonderful hymn, Matt. A wonderful hymn written in 1873, and I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that later, but that's is a wonderful statement of faith. It is well with my soul. As I've thought about this, so obviously I've turned to the scriptures and I've reflected upon them, meditated them on, it, on them even, and I found myself coming back to Psalm 42, which is featured a number of times in various contexts this year. But I found myself, as is so often the case, 
seeing other things, different perspectives. And so I'm going to read Psalm 42. It's going to come up on the screen. If you haven't got a Bible, well then, you know, we're very happy to give you one if uh, you'd like to go to the welcome desk on your way out. But here we are, the first eight verses of Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. Oh, I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. A wonderful psalm. Now, as we've normally reflected upon that, we've talked about you know, the need to seek God's face and not just his hand. What I mean by that is, you know, so often my prayers, and I dare say your prayers too, are prayers along the lines of, oh God, oh God, oh God, please you know, help my daughter going to that job interview. Oh God, oh God, oh God, please you know, help us with our finances. Oh God, oh God, oh God, you know, please help my sister who's not well or whatever it is. You know, it's, there's a kind of a shopping list element to it, and I don't want to sort of diss it, because God invites us to do that. But that's what we call seeking God's hand. God, will you intervene in these situations? My friend's situation, the nation's situation, you know, the intercessions, or the, the, the prayers and intercession we bring. But there's another dynamic of prayer, and we often refer to that when we're teaching out of Psalm 42. It's seeking God for his own sake. Seeking God just to have time with him. Seeking God for his face and not his hand. And there's something that is absolutely central to the Christian walk in when we speak of a personal relationship with Jesus. Now, as I've looked at this, I began to realize, you know, that God was speaking to me. As I was saying, I was feeling this kind of disconnect. I couldn't quite. And then the Lord said to me, how is your soul? I thought, well, what? How is my soul? Well, it's fine. You know, you, you saved my soul. How is my soul? But then he kind of opened my eyes. And I must say, uh, this book in particular has been very helpful to me. I've read it from cover to cover and started again. Uh, Soul Keeping by John Ortberg. The bookstall says that they're out of it after the first service. They're out of stock now, but they'll get more in next week. But of course, of course, you can get it on one of the you know, websites that are commonly available or download it for your Kindle. If you want to take some reading away with you, if you're fortunate enough to be able to go away for a bit of a holiday, a vacation or, or something over this summer period, I thoroughly re recommend that you take that with you. But so, so I started, I, as, you know, I, I felt slightly confused because I thought I knew what 
you know, about my soul and that kind of thing. I mean, heavens above, I've been a minister for nearly 40 years. But I felt like the Lord was inviting me to explore it more. So I began by, you know, acknowledging that my soul thirsts. I, I began to realize that this disconnection was my soul thirsting. My soul, if you like, was telling me something. And then I started to think, well, what do I mean by my soul? You know, what is a soul? And of course, I, I'm still working that one out, but, but you look like you all know. So well, just turn to your neighbor and just explain, tell them what, what a soul is. <laughs> I'm being very naughty. <laughs> well, it's interesting. When you start looking at that, when you start looking at definitions, when you start reading up about it, there are some interesting explanations. I haven't got time to go through some of the ideas, but, but I chose and choose to call my soul the essence of me. That's why this little talk is called Essence. It's the bit of me that is at the heart of me. It's the, the real me. It's the me that loves God and finds love in my heart for my family and for, for others whom God calls me to serve. And, and, and it's the everlasting me. Dallas Willard, who is quoted in this soul-keeping book, he puts it like this. One of his, he explains with diagrams what he believes the soul to be. But he also says this. We are an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe, unceasing and spiritual, eternal, with an eternal destiny, and we're all living this out in the context of God's great universe. We could preach on that for a month of Sundays, couldn't we? There's a lot in that, and I like that. But the soul is the essence of me. It's the the living me, it is the eternal me. It is the bit that's gonna spend my eternity with Jesus or without Jesus. And actually, I thought it was doing okay, but I've come to realize that we need to feed and give drink to and succor to our souls. Our lives are so frantic and busy, you know, that, that you know, it's so full of noise that we spend precious little time all thought about our soul. I was, uh, Trevor and uh, uh, Fliss and, and Maria, Trevor and Maria and Fliss and myself, we went on a little uh, jaunt to France in our classic cars, which was lovely. Uh, we got caught in some absolutely crazy traffic in the middle of Le Mans when France scored a goal. And it just, suddenly, it, it was like everyone went mad, wasn't it? And everybody in the cars were honking their horns and all these cars came out of side roads and there was this glorious great big jam and you're thinking, what? And there was this poor woman who was on the front row trying to get onto a roundabout and, they th and, and we pulled up alongside and she's paralyzed. And Fliss looked across at her and she's going, and she thought that they were all honking at her. Bless her heart. Oh, wow, that's tough, you know. But in the midst of all that melee, you know, there's all that melee, and there's still somebody who's got their radio amped up, that they're thinking, ah! There's so much noise. There's so, we can't seem to bear silence. We seem to run from silence. Anything but being 
quiet, anything. And the soul suffers in silence. The soul suffers in silence. Anyway, so one or two little characteristics about the soul. The soul is hot-wired for God, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. Our souls, we have been... Excuse me. We have been created by God, and our souls are hot-wired for God. That means that we have a predisposition, a longing and a thirst for God. The trouble is, many of us don't recognize that. Maybe we've not told that. Maybe we've just not realized that. Maybe we've just not come to that conclusion. And so the soul has this insatiable appetite for God. And when we're not directing ourselves towards God, it tries to feed itself. It's actually the soul that's driving so many of our passions and our needs as we see them. The need for success, the need for significance, the need for relationship, the need for you know, the next best thing, the next best car, the bigger house, the better education, you know, the, the, the prettier wife, the more handsome husband. Yeah, whatever it is, it may just be to win the, the village garden competition this year and bake the biggest cake in the, in the fate. But these appetites, these drives, are just expressions of the soul trying to find God. Trying to find God. And as I've often said, you know, until we find God, our soul will always be restless. It will always be restless. So I ask the question, as God asked me, how is your soul? Have you given it much thought of late? Do you understand your essential needs? Do you understand how to fulfill those? Are you recognizing that you are an eternal being with an eternal destiny in God's universe. I've sometimes said that in Christ, and I'm still working on this, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm there yet, clearly I wouldn't be telling you this story now if I was there. I'm still on the journey myself. But in Christ, we find the sum of all of our longings. And I can say this, I can say this, and I've got a lovely wife, a lovely hum, uh, family. You know, uh, God has blessed us in many ways. But my most happiest and most fulfilled times have been, you know, occasionally, fortunately, fairly often, when we've been in worship here. That may be a stretch for you. And you may just say, I'm bound to say that. But... And it's not just here. I mean, Fliss and I went down to St. Paul's Hammersmith a few weeks ago. Uh, Samuel, our worship pastor, is uh, leading worship at one of the uh, events, St. David's Tent down in Sussex or something. I've mentioned this before, I'm sure. And uh, they were doing a kind of a, a weekend thing down in London. We went down there. And it was just like we died and gone to heaven. And I find those moments for me now, not always, hasn't always, those connect with me in an extraordinary way. I get caught up in something bigger than myself. And from that perspective, from the perspective, from the view that one gets when we're, we're with the Father, 
suddenly everything else falls into place. Suddenly everything else, and it's lots of good things, but they find their rightful place before the throne of God. So God is the sum of all of our longings. Jesus put it this way, when talking about these passions, excuse me, I'm just going to have a quick cough. He said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, what good is it, what good is it if someone gains the whole world, if you fulfill all your ambitions, if you fulfill all your ambitions, thanks Trevor, if you fulfill all your ambitions and yet lose your soul. I was talking to somebody actually in my family this week when they were talking about a, a distant relative and uh, this young man has fulfilled all his goals and he's only in his early 30s and they were significant goals. He's extraordinarily talented. Some would even say he's a genius and he has fulfilled these goals and they were mountainous, very unusual. And now he finds himself lost, not knowing what to do next. What, what, where do I go from here? Now that's an unusual experience. There are still things in my life I'd love to see done and do and get involved in. But he has this unusual experience, this unusual thing. But what good is it, says Jesus, if you gain the whole world, if you hit all your goals, if, if, you, know, if, you, if you have the life, and yet in the getting of it, you lose your soul? Jesus, obviously the answer is, you know, the answer is, you know, there is no, there is no good in that. You've missed something. So, so what are we to do? You know, here I am encouraging you along the lines of being and stuff like that. But, you know, I've done a little bit of homework and I want to give you a little roadmap as to things that you might do as we come into, a, for some of us, what will be a holiday season. And, uh, you, know, so I, I'm, you know, what are we to do? I believe there are things that we can do. And I have found myself coming back to Psalm 42, which somehow initially expressed the first thing I have for God, but I also found hidden in it, and I hadn't really seen it before, actually some of the things that the, the psalmist commends us to do in order to do the, the initial surgery. And I'm actually going to give you two sets of four words. The first one is, is a, a bit of a roadmap, my roadmap thus far, on how to attend to your soul at this point in time when you might need a bit of you know, uh, triage, a bit of, a bit of emergency work. And then I'm going to give you something to help sustain that. So here we are, four things. First of all, make time. Now, if you groan, you know, that was bound to come, wasn't it? But the psalmist says in verse 2, he says, when can I go and meet with God? Now, this is a guy who clearly has relationship and seemingly a far better relationship with God than I do. But here's a guy, here's a guy who knows the Lord, who's walked with the Lord, who has a, a, a personal relationship that is, is deep and profound. And yet when he finds him, himself in this dry place, he asks himself the question, when can I find time? How can I carve that out? Well, we all live busy lives. 
We all live busy lives. And those of you, you know, who are in your 30s with, with growing families, you know, maybe you'll get away to do, go, go camping in France or do some other thing for a holiday. You know, it's crazy. It's full on from dawn till dusk. You know, it truly is. Uh, we know that. We've had four kids. But there are times, if, if we're predisposed to make time to be with God, when the kids get uncharacteristically absorbed in some little project. Maybe they're running around the beach catching, finding shells or building a sandcastle. And, and for 20, 25 minutes, 30 minutes even, there's blissful contentment in the family. Everyone's busy and you can sit back and you have a choice in that moment. You can pick up your phone and go onto social media. You can pick up that sort of, that love pot boiler novel you bought in the airport. Or you can take that moment to say, oh God, oh God, oh God. I recommend you do the third. Do the other stuff later, but make that a priority. When can I find time to be with God, says the psalmist. He recognized he's thirsting. There's a disconnect. He's doing it all right. He's trying his hardest, but still he feels this restlessness in him. And that's what I was feeling as I said. So the first thing then is make time. Then be real. I still find too many Christians who seem to think that when they come into God's presence, they've got to put an act on. You know, the psalmist says here that he wept. He says in verse 3, he says, my tears have been my food day and night. He's bringing tears to God. He's not in the best of places. But it's not a case of pulling yourself together because you're going to have some time with God now. He says, he says in verse, uh, I'm going to glass, verse 4, he says, I pour out my soul. That's a wonderful expression that's been taken up in music and song and hymns. You know, he's, he's real with God. He pours out his soul. That's the appropriate place. You know, it's great to have friends, and I'm fortunate I've, I've got a handful of good friends who I can be real with, you know, and we all need that. Not all of us have that, and that may be something that, you know, you're praying about. You want real connection, real friends. But the truth of the matter is with God, you can be real. He doesn't think less of you. And sometimes, if you are really real with God, you might be shocked at what comes up. Well, better it out before the Lord and then you can move on from it. There's no, there's no benefit in suppressing deep anger towards God because your, your husband didn't come through for you or your wife didn't do this or your, your father was a so-and-so and your mother abandoned you. All of these things happen. This is life. This is life. And if that's been your experience, if at some point you've been a victim or even a victimizer, and you feel bad about that. Be real with God. Don't hide it away. Don't do the proverbial turn up the radio, bang on the horn, and cheer for France. And you've, got to, you've got to engage with that. So the first thing, make time. Then be real. Then the psalmist reflects. He, 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 he turns inward in order to look upward. And he says, he says this three times actually, my soul is downcast within me. 
Therefore, what am I going to do? My soul is downcast. I love that expression. In fact, my son-in-law, who is staying with us, my son-in-law wrote a song which was built around that, and a beautiful song it is too. That's an aside. But anyway, my soul is downcast within me. And actually, just as a little bit of Bible, Bible knowledge here, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, although they're separate, they generally were, they used to be together. And so this, why, am I, why is my soul so downcast, is repeated in Psalm 43. Three times he talks about that. There is a time for reflection. You know, the great spiritual heroes, you know, who, who spent time on the inner journey as well as the outward journey, you know, they, they, they found a way of being real. Now, Fliss and I went on a retreat. Uh, this uh, used the time to go on a retreat together, which was interesting. I could spend time talking about that. But one thing about it, it did give us an opportunity to not in a, in a, in a narcissistic and bad way, but to look inward and say, well, how am I doing? How is my soul? Why are you, why are you so downcast? Why would you be downcast? What? So, what? I'm, I'm, you know, it's not a case of saying pull yourself together. It's saying, okay, right. So what does the psalmist then do? What he does here, he says, I will remember. These things I will remember. I will remember. So the first thing is make some time. Next, be real. You'll get nowhere if you don't start being real. Thirdly, reflect. Turn inward. Take an honest appraisal of where you are, where are your strengths, where are your weaknesses, what are you doing, what is the Spirit of God doing? Listen to your soul, what is it, what is it saying? Now, I, I have learned something over this summer in that some things actually, if I'm not careful, uh, you know, if I eat too much or if I snack too much, I mean, these are, you know, they may seem trivial to you, but they, they are not trivial to me. You know, I, I actually am starting to feel a little shame. Well, quite frankly, that extra bag of hula hoops is not worth the shame I begin to feel. And so I'm trying not to eat the extra hula hoops. So if there's a bag of six, I only eat five of them. I leave one. <laughs> and um, I now say to my family, because they always bring treats around, I say, please, and I'm serious about this, please don't bring these treats around. Because I have no self-control and I will just eat them. You know, uh, I, I mean, it's a, a silly example, and I could give you others maybe. But what I'm saying here is that as you reflect, you realize that there are some things that you do that may be innocent for other people. But actually, when you do them, you feel shame. And what does shame do when you come into the Father's presence, when you make time? You can't look him in the face anymore. You come in with a sort of a, yeah, <laughs> yeah, hi, God. Yeah, mm, can I go now? You know, it's kind of that gig. And I don't want that in my soul. I don't want that because Jesus has laid down his life so that I might have freedom in his presence. Not that I might feel guilty or shame-filled. So, yeah, we reflect and then we recall God's goodness. You know, he recalls how he used to go up to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of praise. He begins to recall and, 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 and consider the, you know, what God has done. And when, I, when you get into that phase, when you're doing this bit of surgery on the beach, making time, being real, reflecting about where you're really at, and also as you start remembering what God has done, remember the good things he has done for you, the specifics, get specific. Thank you, Lord, you did give me that job. 
Thank you, Lord. We did get the, the, you know, our eldest into that school. Thank you, God. Do all of that thing. But move beyond that and thank God for who he is. I've been reading in the book of Colossians, you know, the wonderful stories of who Christ is, the glory of Christ. Praise him. Thank him. So remember what he's done for you and remember who he is and how he courts you how he comes to you and invites you into relationship with him. So that's the surgery thing. Okay, so I've had the fortune, the good fortune, of being able to spend a bit of time working on that over the summer. But now let me give you something that you can start using straight away that will feed that and help sustain that. Four little things. You know, I came back to work this week. Uh, we got back from France on uh, Monday. No, it was Tuesday, wasn't it? Uh, got back about midnight. I was in at work at, you know, crack, not the crack of dawn, but I was in first thing on, on the Wednesday. And boy, it's been busy. You know, there have been some challenges and what have you. And it's so easy, isn't it? When you've been on holiday, you've had a bit of a breather. It just like, you know, within three days, it feels like you've never been on holiday. Yeah? You know what I mean? It's like, well, why did I bother? Well, this is something that you can take with you to try and hold on to that thing. The first thing is to pause. Pause. You may have to do it several times every day. Just pause. Breathe. Second thing. Yield. Yielding for me, it may not be for you, but yielding, yielding is giving up some of the righteous indignation I might feel, or the need to put someone right, or the need to sort of have the last word, or the need to, to appear good, or the need to, you know, say the right thing to the right person in order to gain that promotion. I just pause, breathe, yield, let go of a bit of that striving, and then embrace that primary call. And that is that God loves me, and I am his son. And that is an eternal truth. An eternal truth. Now, you can do that. You know, they, there's an old saying, count ten. You can do that in the count ten. As you, you know, the kids are kicking off. You've, you've uh, you know, uh, I spoke to a young mother this week and she said, I, I made a resolution today not to get cross with my kids. It's half past 11 and unfortunately I've already failed. <laughs> Any mums can identify with that? Yeah, thank you. Let's be real. Sometimes we do need to count ten. And this is, this is right on the back of this more deep surgery I'm talking about. But it's good for your soul to pause, to breathe, to yield, and to embrace. You will be the healthier for it. And as Dar Dallas Willard says, you, it will mean that you are in less of a hurry you will still hit those 
deadlines, you'll still get to the school gates to pick the kids up, you will still get that report in at work, you will still do all of that, but instead of walking around in a frantic, uptight buzz, you will walk slowly through life, achieving much. So there's a few little thoughts. I want to finish with Horatio Spafford. Horatio Spafford was the guy who wrote that hymn that I began this talk with. Horatio Spafford was a businessman in Chicago, Illinois. He had, was married to Anna and had four lovely kiddies. Unfortunately, they lost their little boy to scarlet fever, but he had four lovely girls. Some of you will know that in 1871, there was a horrendous and devastating fire in uh, Chicago. Much of it was built of wood and it just went up like a tinderbox, fanned by flames off Lake Michigan. And people were ruined overnight. Horatio Spafford was one of them. He was very enterprising and uh, uh, he had a little bit of money left, but he needed to provide for his family. So what he said to his wife was, he said, Anna, my love, take the girls, go back to the home country, which was, I thought it was Ireland, but I think it's England. Take the kids back. I need to wind up a few things here, and then I'll come back, and then we'll regroup. We'll, we'll think again, you know. So he uh, kissed goodbye to his wife and girls and uh, waved them off at the dock. He went back into town. And about a week later, this uh, liner, I think it was called the Le Havre, was struck by another ship, and it went down in 20 minutes. And the four girls perished. He didn't know anything about it until his wife, who was rescued, out of the water, she landed in Ireland and emailed him immediately and said, saved alone, what shall I do? Saved alone. What shall I do? It's difficult to imagine what that must be like for her and for Horatio. But in short order, he was on a ship heading back to England to comfort his wife. And the captain of the ship he was on, thoughtfully, kindly, and generously, called him up to the bridge as they passed over the spot where the Le Havre had sunk. And as they passed over that place, the words of a poem, it was actually a poem to begin with, it was later set to music, a poem came to mind, which she's penned down. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. I want to get that life balance where I'm not just doing the, the right things and the good things, where I'm not just caring for my family and uh, fulfilling my duties as, as a pastor, but I want to seek God's face because my soul thirsts for him. I want to seek God's face. So if, God forbid, 
I should ever have to face that kind of challenge, I would be able to say, it is well with my soul. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand and pray. Let's have uh, a little bit late, but I think it'd be nice to finish with um, a song, Joe, so if you wouldn't mind coming up, thanks. Father, I just want to say thank you to you. Just when we thought we've got it all sewn up, you you show us a new fact. Uh, We've just completed another chapter. And so, Lord God, we pray that you would come and that you would visit us indeed and that you would, you would deal with each one of us as your sons and daughters that we may find ourselves in that blessed place where it is well with our soul. And if we're just too busy, too busy in life, too busy in business, too busy with religion, Lord, forgive us. We want to find the real you, and we want our souls to fasten onto you like a baby does to a, to a mother's breast. We want to fast, fasten ourselves onto you and grow in the love and knowledge of you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.